Wagwan peoples, welcome to another episode of the Chatting in the City podcast. Uh, it is I, your humble host, Boaz, and I'm here with a, another special guest. I mean, first, I guess, first of all, Happy New Year. This is the first episode we've been back since, I want to say, December 20th or something like that. By the time you hear this will be February, but, you know, better late than never. So Happy New Year. Uh, thank you for keep staying with us, the two listeners that we have. We appreciate you. We thank you. And yeah, I'm here with another special guest, Emma. Thank you for joining me. Hi, thanks for having me. Right, so I guess for a little bit of context, I can, uh, to introduce you, we met, we have a class together, philosophy class, and um, one of the first few lectures, you know, the province sort of introduced what the class is gonna be like, what to expect, the course material. And then um, here she comes in and she was asking these questions about like, you know, psychology, philosophy, and how it relates to ethics. And I'm like, who is that? So I reached out, uh, you know, without basically having any, uh, just breaking all, what is it, all social barriers or whatever. I reached out through the Zoom chat yeah. and I asked, if you, yeah. ch- if, you know, she'd be willing to come to the podcast and we're here. So thanks again. Problem. Um, so the question I had for you, it's very specific, I think. And um, so I'll try to explain it. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was reading an article about uh, transcultural psychiatry. So like, you know, comparative work, looking at, you know, different cultures, how they approach different psychiatric disorders and illnesses. And um, the idea of uh, W.E.B. Dubois' double consciousness came up just randomly. And um, basically, for those who don't know, the idea is um, that Black people have this sort of everyone has their idea of themselves, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. you're looking at what yourself, you know who you who you are, what you're like, things you like, things you don't like. Yeah. So in a way, that's kind of like your consciousness. But then he he thought that for Black people, there was also like another side to it where it was, they have their own consciousness, but then they also have to see themselves through other people, through the way the, through the, way the world essentially sees them, mm-hmm. which kind of brings about a different dimension, making it double. And um, off that, I started thinking about... Um, obviously just black people in general, but then somebody like yourself who's mixed. And I was wondering how being mixed affects your self-perception and your sense of belonging as it refers to well-being. Yeah. Um, yeah. So to start off, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm American and Guyanese. So, uh, you know, black, um, and then very white, uh, Croatian and Irish actually. So, um, I'm, 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 I'm very much, for all intents and purposes, just biracial. And that's, it. it's not, it's not, you know, 40, 60, it's 50, 50 for me. Um, and I think I definitely have, you know, three, three like different personalities, the, the, the white, the, the black and my actual self that I'm actually j- like just starting to realize now, but right. um, I definitely understand the, um, you know, the duality, plurality of um, the self-concept when it comes to, or when it refers to black people and um, mixed people uh, more specifically, I'm definitely of the mindset that I um, associate with different parts of myself or a different self-conscious, I mean, different self-concept or a different um, personality when I'm around different people. And I think that's what anyone does, but I think I don't wanna speak for every black person every mixed person, that's not what I wanna do. But um, for me, there are certain places that I noticed that difference and that really affected my mental health. And um, 
so I went, I, I've, I've been able to, I've had the privilege of, of doing sports and, and private school. And I've had a very multicultural upbringing, but those specific instances where I went to private school and where I was in a competitive sport were just the whitest. <laughs> um, just like, I've never seen another, almost ever seen another black person who played, who, sorry, it was a ski racer. And even though we had, um, you know, uh, exchange students at my private school, it was still very much a white school um, just because all the locals, all the people who were from the school, most of them were black, except for my family, me and my sister, and maybe one or two other families. Um, and so that being kind of the center of most of my uh, upbringing, uh, that kind of, you know, made me, you know, dive into that, you know, association of whiteness with, with goodness and the whole idea of, of colorism, this, this white supremacy born ideology that the lighter your skin is, the better black person you are, you know, the attachment of being lighter, being, makes you smarter, makes you, um, you know, whatever. And the statistics to back it up, you know, that uh, mixed race people or lighter skin women are 19%, I think, less likely to be incarcerated or short or serve shorter sentences than their blacker counterparts. Um, and there's so many more and like, and being so into that whiter culture and being so aware, not aware, but just so cognizant that I was different, but I was different. I was, you know, I was black, but I was also, I was, I was a better, and, and so that really affected me when it hit, not hit, but when it, you know, when it, when I came to the realization that that's a privilege that I have and that really, that really wasn't a good thing. That wasn't anywhere close to the part I want to play, the, the legacy I want to lead and uh, serving and um, remembering my black history. Um, and in terms of like mental health specifically, I think, being half and half isn't a new thing for me when it comes to a lot of my identities, like a lot of right. my identities. Um, so that sort of not really knowing how to act has made, has caused me so much cognitive dissonance that I, it, it, it overwhelms me so much when I'm in a place where two worlds collide or something, um, or where I experience like a, a shift in, in how I should feel or the way I should um, act. Um, coming to university, for example, I didn't know where I was going to fit in and how I needed to act to fit in because before it was, okay, in this area, this is where I act blacker, in this area, this is where I act whiter. But coming to university and being able to think and do what I want, because you know that's what university makes you realize is that this is what I wanna do and this is what I wanna be. Right really kind of freed me from that but it also made me realize all those things and that was like that was like a complete like that was when it all came down like came crumbling down my whole social identity in terms of this like false sense of superiority for being white ish 
like having that light skin privilege that when that all came crumbling down and when I realized, no, this is my issue that I'm struggling with as a, in, a, in the form of white, not white privilege, light skin privilege. Like that's when it, and then this summer it, it got worse when I was like, wow, this is not a person I want to be. I need to be more aware of that. And I need to kind of, um, you know, uh, make sure I, or not make sure, but being able to express both sides equally was really important to me. Um, and, and so that came in the form of learning and, 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 and listening and watching videos on like, and podcasts on all these different topics, um, you know, colorism, tokenism, anything, the police industrial complex, everything. Um, yeah. Mental health was a struggle and it, you know, it came along with a lot of other experiences of being half and half. So I'm curious about your uh, your experience going to private school. And, you know, you said you were a skier. Um, mm -hmm. Did you feel like, um, I guess my question is about like, it's, it's almost like your life seems like you were living a, a sort of like code switching, but in the sense of like not necessarily language or the way you speak, but just the way you are, like the way, the way you are, the way you are essentially, like you're being. Mm -hmm. Like in this yeah. place, I am like this, and in that place, I am like that. But yeah. it's much deeper than the way you speak and the way you behave. It's literally the way you are. Could you expand on that? Yeah. Um, so, so I've been I've, I've been a ski racer for more than a decade, and I started when I was really really young and had no awareness of the impact that the color of my skin had on other people. Um, you know, in terms of just overt racism or microaggressions like mom bringing me to the ski hill who is who is this kid you have a you're white why are you bringing a a, a little black girl and putting her on skis like mm -hmm. um so I was never really aware of it then and then when I went to private school it kind of reaffirmed that kind of that that feeling of differentness but also isolating myself from the black community because there was no one else around me to keep me in check to, 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 to put me back to the equilibrium that I should be feeling as comfortable as half white and half black. And I, so, and I, it, it was almost, it almost, I dissociated myself from a lot of experiences of racism, microaggressions that I otherwise would have been aware of if I, for better or worse, knew what, um, these, these, these feelings that I was feeling, like, why do I feel different? Knew what that was. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, my parents are not good for not teaching me that kind of stuff, but, um, you know, the conversation of, Hey, you're black and that makes you a little different. And that makes people see you different. That would have been helpful <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. And then when I went to, after I, 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 I left private school when I was in grade seven, just not the fit for me. I felt very, out of place. Um, and I think that was more just the way I learned. So I came back and I went to um, a, just a, a Catholic school. And there, and there, even though it was further away from the GTA, further away from a lot of the multiculturalism you see in Toronto, mm. um, there was a lot more Black people that I could connect with. Um, so I felt that, you know, acting the way that I did at school and then acting the way that I did at the ski hill 
was even further from, they were even further from where I should be in the middle, which was, you know, just, just myself and just um, not acting any certain way, trying to prove something like literally saying things to, you know, express some sort of like, oh, I, I'm not like those other like black people. I'm not like those other um, white people, you know, for both sides. It was, it went one way or the other. And I was playing both cards. It's just um, the context and the situation you're in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that really happened when I was in high school, when I came to elementary school and high school, when I was at a more, a school that had not only boys, I was, it was an all girls private school. So the boys were a different thing, but not only the boys, but black boys and black girls who were a lot different than the girls that I, the white, white or black girls from private school. They, they weren't not privileged. They weren't, it was a different socioeconomic status. No, like, you can just like say that there was obviously a difference but it wasn't a difference in character it was just a difference of the context like you said and so I was finding myself doing both trying to connect with um my my black peers but then also trying to disconnect from them and that really didn't make me a popular kid that didn't that didn't help me with my mental health um, I felt very isolated because I was pushing myself away and I was being pushed away. I was pushing myself away very, very psych- like in my own head and in overtly. I remember a specific instance and in the ca- in the car with my dad and my sister, my sister had volunteered for um, pride and she was, she was just keeping the people, you know, moving or whatever. And it was, that was the year in, I think it was 2015 or 2016 that the Black Lives Matter protest stopped the parade and right. said, we want the police not in uniform and not here at Pride. And I remember being in the car and saying, oh, I don't support BLM if they're doing that. That was at the peak of this, like dissociating myself from blackness. And it, that moment is just like the worst feeling for me. The, the most just guttural disgust I guess, but overall just a, an effect, the result of just this, this, this colorism, this Eurocentricity, this like whatever pick me term you can think of for being black, but you know, wanting to be a little white, that's what I felt. And, and, and I was even like, I even, I was the, I ran black, the, the black history month presentation like the next year, did I know anything about BLM? Did I support BLM? Like, who knows? Like I was struggling so much to fig- figure it out in a way that I can dissociate myself and try to, you know, make myself, I, I have no idea, but it was so crazy. And I think sports and private school definitely played a huge role in it. Just th- that feeling of, connectedness and disconnectedness. Do you feel like now that, you know, you said coming to university was a big change and a good change, do you feel like, do you feel like you know more of who you are now? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I, I, I think, so a lot of, a lot of the 
colorism and, 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 and Eurocentrist views I had had to do with hair. I straightened my hair every day from the end of grade 11 until the end of first year. And then after that, the, the, my, my hair progress, my hair journey kind of represents my, the journey that I had with, um, you know, coming to terms or accepting and loving blackness, um, and, and black excellence. And, um, and when I stopped straightening my hair and I, and I, like this was second year, I was, I started, you know, learning and, and, and understanding, okay, this is how I keep my hair. My hair's black. I can't straighten it every day. It's not going to be healthy. And that kind of translated into, okay, I need to stop acting white. It's not healthy for you. What are you achieving? That's just what, that's what everyone wants. That's what these view, these, this terrible racist system this, these institutions, that's what, that's what it wants, you know? Um, and so going along, I kind of always kind of, I don't know how to explain it, just, I was able to kind of very gradually move into a, a, a better version of myself just by making these changes and, and, and acknowledging that that is what needed to be changed my hair, for example, which is a big part of, you know, black culture in general. And, um, and then also just generally like connecting with um, black people and connecting with even like my grandmother asking her, you know, where did we come from? What, where, what, what, what is this black part of me? I, I guess just, that sounds kind of cliche or whatever, but where do I come from? And, and learning about that and connecting with that was really, really important to me. And um, and she actually died in September, but I was so happy I got to have that conversation with her like weeks before. And that was kind of a lot of my push towards learning more and, and, and feeling better about myself was that conversation. Um, and I think it was, you know, this summer was the inciting incident for a lot of people for doing that. And I'm no different and yeah. You feel like, because you mentioned that your parents, you know, it could have been nice for your parents to actually have a to you down and say, hey, you're you're black, but you're also white. And, you know, the way the world will see you is different. That would have been nice to have. But then my question is like, it's sort of like, uh, I guess from your parents' perspective, it's like, in a way, taking away your child's innocence. Because it's like, you're going to tell your child that, you know, the, the way she sees herself or the way that, you know, she might think of herself is not necessarily the way the world's going to see them. If your parents had tied you down and you know basically told you that the way that the world sees you is not the way you might see yourself, and sort of try to break down all those things, like you said, the colorisms, uh, being feeling like you're part of both worlds but not exactly part of both waters. It's like you're you're part of both, but you're also not at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. And all of that goes along with that. I feel like it would have helped you, but also would have ch drastically changed the way you see the world. And like, like I'm not sure to what degree it would have helped you, but I like to hear what you think. Yeah, I'm, I don't know how much it would have helped me either. Um, I think there's a time for everything, you know, just like there's a time to tell your kid that Santa's not real. I think um, telling, <laughs> not relating, you know, hey, there's racism in the world to, hey, Santa isn't real. Those things are two very different things. But um, there's, I think, I think it could have happened. And that's not to say that my parents are completely terrible for not doing it. Um, I think they did a good job at raising me to turn the other cheek when you 
experience stuff like that, not get involved in the sense of like, it's their racism isn't your issue. Your issue is to care for yourself. And, and even though that in itself could be a problem, me and my sister found a way to educate ourselves and be better for ourselves and not, um, and just let, just let black excellence speak for itself. And in a way, take what we have, which is the knowledge that we, 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 we have from our experience, but also from all of what we, we, we learn and we experience by going to university and by, you know, doing our own, you know, research and, um, and take that and in the cases where there's something, someone important that we care about, that we need, that we would like to, to teach and, and express our, our discomfort for the way that they say something or the fact that they, you know, they, they accidentally say the N word in a song or something like, um, like specifically, I have a friend who wants to be a cop and I just wanted him to acknowledge, Hey, there's something inherently wrong. And so I used my, some of the things that I've learned, which is, it's, it's not, it's not a lot, but it's, it's enough to express, Hey, this is an institutional issue and that's what you're shining up for. Being able to express to the people that I care about that there's racism and I don't need to fight everyone's battle. I can be a part of the movement by, I can be an anti-racist by being anti-racist for the people that matter to me and not for that random guy in the street that definitely, it, that definitely was a microaggression, you know? Like the people I care about, I've been able to express to them, hey, this is something I really care about. And I want you to, I want you to watch this documentary. I want you to read this book and I want you to maybe learn about this so that I, we can have a conversation. You can connect with me and you can be where I am and be anti-racist. Not just, it's not enough to be against racism. You have to be anti-racist. And so that's what I do when I try to teach. That's what I mean when I say, just stay out of it. I don't mean, you know, don't, don't stand up for what you believe in. I mean, do all you can, but then also care for the people who you care about and, and, and don't, you'll, you'll, become exhausted if you go on everyone's like if you reply to every racist twitter comment with you know a five-page essay about right. you know the history of racism i mean the first step would be to get off twitter that's what i think <laughs> uh, but you yeah. know everybody everybody you know can do whatever they want i'm not uh yeah. i'm not trying to tell people what to do but twitter just get off twitter i'll tell that to you <laughs> Um, I, um, I actually, I deleted my, my, my Facebook. So I deleted <laughs> Facebook and Instagram because I was just like, this is, there is nothing happening here. You sharing a black screen doesn't do anything. I'm going to go on, you know, Twitter. I'm going to, you know, follow AOC. I'm going to follow Ava du DuVernay, Ava DuVernay. I'm going to follow these people and hear what they have to say and not just see a picture of them when, or a picture of some random person saying, yeah, I'm at the rally today. This is performative. Like Twitter's a little less performative. So, you know, but yeah, get off of, get off of that kind of Twitter. <laughs> yeah, my friends and I actually, we did it on this uh, a little while back. I think it was episode five. Uh, we talked about that whole black screen that happened over the summer. Sort of like, what you know, how we felt about it. You know, I said my thoughts, they said theirs. And like, you know, I think the consensus was, it was, you know, like you said, a little more performative than anything else. And um, 
I don't know. It's just, it's always interesting to see how people react to things. Like uh, currently there's uh, the Bell Let's Talk campaign is happening. Mm. And, you know, there's been a lot of people coming out and saying, you know, you just reposting that video of Michael Bublé. I don't know if you've seen it. There's a video going around of Michael Bublé, I guess, doing things and like, you know, talking about Bell, Bell Let's Talk and mental health. People like, people are basically saying, you know, you reposting the video, that's, you know, that's not enough. We actually have to have a, comp- a serious conversation about mental health especially now in, you know, in the context of a pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. So it's always really interesting to see what happens, you know, when, like you said, certain topics come up and it's almost like these topics come up at a societal level and everybody has to sort of like get, come to grips with them and figure out what they feel. And like, for a lot of people, it's like, maybe you don't really know who to talk to. So you just figure that, you know, sharing this thing is, you know, at least mm-hmm. a, a first step, right? Yeah. And then there are others who just, you know, don't necessarily think that's good enough. And you have to do more and more and more. But I don't know. Mm. there's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. Anyway, we're coming to, towards the end. Uh, I want to try a little something. Um, I want to try a little something. Something that I took from uh, kind of appropriate from another podcast. It's called the PSA. So usually a PSA is a public service announcement. But mm-hmm. um, from the Regiates podcast, a PSA is promote, share, and ask. So... If you have something to promote, you can promote it and then I'll share something and then you get to ask me. Because I've been asking you questions this whole time. So mm. you get a chance to ask me a question. So do you have something to promote? Promote just anything? Just anything. Okay, well, um, three things. Uh, Wazi Clothing, Black women-owned brand from Los Angeles. They're amazing. Um, so that's a clothing brand. Uh, YouTube, I guess, uh, T1J on YouTube, amazing taught me a lot about he's a uh, black creator who's you know teaching you about uh things like tokenism colorism like everything um related to um blackness you know and he's he's incredible uh ike avajon he's cool too he is a black tiktok creator um okay he yeah he's cool so those are my three promotions (laughs) Could you say it again? The what's the the clothing brand? Wazi W A S I Wazi clothing. Wazi clothing. Yeah. Okay, from Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And then T One J and the TikToker. <laughs> Actually, mm-hmm. funny. We just uh, the the lab. We just started a uh, TikTok page. That's really? gonna be a lot of fun. I mean, like, yeah. I don't think we'll be doing any like dances and I don't know any of that. Yeah. But putting up clips from this the podcast. Some of the other stuff that they're doing will be going up there as well. Mm. So that should be fun. TikTok is is amazing. So much goes on. I mean, some of it bad, but some of it really, really good. And it's never been done before. You know, these you are being able to you know see and experience um, people's right. lives just that quickly and that easily like that. It's amazing. You know, I don't I have, have it, but like I get it. <laughs> I was gonna say I have my, you know, I don't know what is it it's supposed to be sixty seconds. That's the max. Yeah, right? I think that's the max. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. There's a lot to be said about, you know, attention in 60 seconds. Seems like everything is getting shorter, but wow, well, that's mm. that's another conversation. Uh <laughs> share, share. What do I have to share? Uh, I don't really have a thing to share. Not really. Oh, share. Well, I'll share this. Um, the lab, we're doing a, a digital campaign. So it's mm. The second one that we've done, um, it'll essentially be about sort of facts. Some of the some of the results that are coming out of studies at the lab about you know mental health and black communities. 
So we'll be sharing that, I think, starting February 1st, so in a couple of days. Um, that should be a lot of fun. So if anybody's interested, yeah. check that out. Um, yeah, and you get to ask me something. Why did you pick um, psychology? Why was that your choice? And does that is it anything have to do with race for you? Mm, does it have to do with race? No. Did you like? Did you decide to go into psychology for a specific reason? And did any of that have to do with being black, being um, being there a male? Isn't a specific like I know reason. that a lot of um, yeah. Because I applied to several programs and I got offered mm. all of them, but I chose psychology because I've always I think people are interesting, uh, like talking to people, um, just watching people do things, you know, when you could actually go out and watch people do things. Um, I think people are really, really interesting. And like, I guess it's more, I like it because I can, I think that was the reason people are interesting. And I just, mm. instead of just watching people, want to try to understand sort of what's going on in their head, when, you know, when they're doing things, what they're thinking. So that was the original sort of the reason why I got into it. Um, and as it pertains to race, um, I'm interested in like mental health, specifically in the black community, right? And how, because mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that we just don't know in the black community, like, you know, that you can actually seek help for anxiety or depression. A lot of people don't even know what anxiety is. You, they have it, but they don't, actually, they don't actually have that term for it to, you know, make the association that I'm mm -hmm. feeling this way. You know, my, my system is up and, you know, they don't know what that is. They just kind of assume it's something else and they, you know, yeah. ignore it or depression. People don't On that note, that. I actually, on that note, I actually, um, I was I was watching uh, Central Intelligence with uh, Kevin Hart and Dwayne Johnson. Okay. And uh, Kevin Hart, Kevin Hart's wife was like, we should go to couples therapy. And Kevin Hart was like, we don't go to therapy. Black people don't go to therapy. Black people uh, go to barbershops or they watch the movie Barbershop. And I remember being so offended by that stereotype that black people can't go to therapy. Cause I go to therapy. It's fine. It's good. Like go to therapy. It's like, <laughs> yeah. So like it's stuff like that. And like, it's just, um, I guess people try to like help their own from different perspectives, right? They're economists mm -hmm. looking why, um, um, social inequality has sort of persisted in terms of like, you know, socioeconomic status, right. Try to figure out what that is. And then I guess for my part is just trying to figure out why, you know, there isn't, why we don't talk about mental health as much, why we don't actually have the tools to deal with it. So like I'm specifically, I'm interested in um, um, physical activity as it relates to mental health and well-being. Mm. So like that's kind of what I, what I want to study um, and keep on studying and research because I feel like there's um, I guess I guess society is just there's a disconnect between like the body and the mind, and people always think that uh, if you're struggling you need to take drugs or if you're struggling you need to deal with it you know, within your head, right? Whereas it's like, if you actually do exercise, there, you know, there are positive benefits. There's been a, there's a, there's a ton of literature showing how physical activity basically lowers your cortisol and that affects your positive, that affects your anxiety and your depression, et cetera, et cetera. I think there's a U Ottawa study that was done last year about that actually. So, so yeah, I got into psych because I just, I find people fascinating. Like I can, I can sit at somewhere, anywhere in public and just watch people walk and do things and try to like figure out why they're doing it, invent like a backstory or whatever. And then, yeah. So that's why I chose psych. Yeah. All right. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much thank for you. doing this. Um, I guess I'll see you in a few days because we have a test. <laughs> if you're ready have for I it. Have I studied? <laughs> we'll see. Who knows? But yeah, um, thanks again, people. Thank you for listening. Uh, but yeah, that's it. Thanks again. See you next time.
Thank you.